0: Hi, my name's Stephen Crafty. I'm presenting Talking Design and I'm with uh, Peter Williams, who's Director of Williams' Bogue Architects. Welcome to the program, Peter. Thank you very much,
1: Stephen. It's a pleasure to be with you.
0: Now, Peter, you seem to be on the winner's podium regularly now uh, with your heritage work in particular. Last year you won uh, a heritage award from the uh, Victorian chapter for a convent And this year it's for uh, the former Bendigo Mining Exchange. Well done on those awards. Quite an amazing achievement. But what is it about you're obviously very in tune with heritage and it's obviously something that not every architect can really get their head around. What takes a great heritage architect to start with?
1: Um, Well... Uh, I wouldn't put myself in the great heritage architect bag really um, as much as I would like to think that uh, uh, we have those uh, abilities. I think my approach to heritage is that um, there's a sort of um, a continuity of time uh, that heritage buildings represent and that's something that I love to participate in so that um, I see. I see the heritage work as something which is rich, and has a series of, hist- uh, of stories in its background, and something that you can actually respond to and um, use those, um, the sort of knowledge of the heritage content of the building, to produce a design dec- decision, a design solution. I see a heritage project very much a design solution, not necessarily something that is um, rooted in um, the sort of minutiae of the heritage content itself, if that's making any sense. Um, I think it's a sort of a starting point for us to exercise our design thinking um, to both interpret effectively what that the meaning of that heritage building is for a contemporary audience and a contemporary society that it sits in. So um,
0: let's, let's look at the former mining exchange at Bendigo. That posed a bit of a dilemma for you because it was really in two parts. There was the 1927 uh, uh, arcade that was put in with Allen's, Allen's Music Store, and then there was the original... The, The beehive or the former mining exchange and i remember you telling me you were looking you know with heritage architects they make a decision usually to go back to the very original part of a building or when it first started and then move on from there but in a sense you were working from two quite significant time periods how difficult is that peter
1: Yes, look. I think that was really you're right to pick that up. That was a it, it was a unique um, component of this particular project that we we could see clearly on the evidence that was that, that it was existing that both the 1927 period and the 1987 uh, the 1987 18, period 1887 or, sorry 1887 period had great value and there was enough material. Um, on-site to really adequately interpret both of them um, the conventional system with heritage as I understand it is that you normally declare which period you're going to um, uh, interpret and clarify so in the case of the laundry for example we had to say 1970 when the when the nuns finished using the um, the building itself but in this particular instance um, it wasn't a sort of a sharp commitment there. And what we decided to do was to put the case to HV that there were great strength in both of them and to be single-minded about one particular period, we would actually be throwing away a lot of valuable fabric from the other period. So, So the argument was that there was an equivalence in both those periods that could be responded to. And we decided then to use that as our design challenge, how to do that and how to actually, well, not so much blend, but how to actually make a sort of a convincing architectural um, solution using those two uh, periods, which are sort of 50 or 60 years apart.
0: Um, Peter, if, for instance, the 20s arcade, if it was kind of such a mishmash or just beyond really looking at, then you would have made the decision to should really only focus on the mining exchange and then just celebrate that part of the building, correct?
1: That's correct. That's right. But but the Allens' work was so strong and it really was um, when they actually put the arcade um, through from Paul Mall, which is on the uh, western side of the building, through to the eastern side of Hargrave Street, now Hargrave Street Mall, that was a really important urban design intervention as well for the retail centre of um, of, uh, of Bendigo and um, it seemed very important that that, that had to be uh, a fundamental organising uh, force for the solution of the building.
0: Um, Peter, when people were walk- walking through Allen's Walk, as it was called, before it was actually touched by uh, Williams Bogue, do you think they would have realised how precious it was or was it just so run down at that point they would have just thought it's just another arcade?
1: Look, I think it was incredibly run down and I looked when we were first involved with this project in about 2011, um, there were people that would look into the arcade, um, especially, say, older people, um, that would look and say, hmm, that doesn't look like for me. I don't think I'll go through there. Um, scary. So there were, that's right, it was it was, it was was wary and there were doors to the upper level of the building that had sort of chains and padlocks on them and, uh, um, you know, spider webs and, um, uh, you know, dirty old papers and things, you know, in the stairwell that no-one really wanted to uh, venture beyond the sort of straight and narrow. So I think it was intimidating. There was a very strong memory in the community about, um, the Allen's um, component when it was alive and well. So there was a sort of pent-up curiosity, I think, in the community saying we would love to see that again, but it wasn't something that you were either allowed to or wanted to venture into.
0: Peter, look, both with this project uh, and with the uh, the uh, laundry at the convent, what's so lovely about both projects is uh, you really get to see the original fabric and tell me if I'm wrong, but there has been quite a strong change in looking at heritage buildings, not just by yourself, but with other architects to actually uh, keeping it quite raw rather than, you know, if you go back to, you know, 10, 20 years, say 20 years, if you did a restoration of of a city building, for instance, you would just basically touch every surface and make sure it was all new and now it's kind of you know the last few years in particular the award-winning projects are kind of very honest they're kind of raw there's elements there's the blemishes that come through is that something that's a a, a conscious change or it's just something happens in the way that your area works and they go yeah, it's actually a better way of looking at heritage
1: Look, I I think there's probably been uh, an aspect of conscious um, thinking that um, uh, rather than, uh, and I'm talking about the heritage authorities here, Heritage Victoria in particular, I think they were sort of um, coming around to the view that um, the warts and all approach to a building um, is okay. It didn't necessarily have to be pretty to have merit. And I think the fundamental, Point that um, um, drives most of the heritage decisions that we make, and once again, it's sort of sit, it, it's in embodied in, uh, in the Bara Charter, is that you do as little as you can to um, um, show off the building and interpret the period you're after. So, if it means that you hang on to um, a one a wonderful rich wall that has layers of wallpaper and um, maybe a few wall plugs or an old shelf or something like that, and some switches, that doesn't invalidate the um, the heritage uh, quality of the building. And in fact, it probably makes it a little more uh, uh, embracing of people understanding the condition and the way a building changes. So I think um, the uh, idea of the squeaky clean, almost um, scrubbed up, chocolate box view of heritage has certainly shifted
0: a lot. Do you find, though, Peter, that older people, um, I don't know what old means now, but, you know, people who perhaps remembered some of those buildings the first time around, um, look at those blemishes and and are quite unsettled by them because it's not the way they saw it in their day or perhaps would like to see it now. And they go, oh, look, you know, they they haven't really finished their job. Or doesn't that happen?
1: No, look. I think it's the other um, thing um, that we've experienced. People go into those things. They see a blemish, and uh, they might remember, "Oh yes, uh, when we were there, that happened." Or I remember when the uh, the washing machine blew up. Or um, in, in a case in point for the uh, uh, for the beehive for example is that there was a local a story. Um, that one of the when, the, when the building was almost finished and people were able to have a look at it, there's some uh, pock marks in the rear salon at the upper level and uh, one of the family members um, used to be a gunsmith and so he remembers that was the corner where they used to set off <laughs> the odd cartridge and charge. So I think those things make it, you know, more um endearing rather than something that you look at. I think you can actually share the, the feeling of the building, the richness of it.
0: The other thing, Peter, is in my mind and, and maybe help explain this, but there seems to be quite different approaches to heritage. I mean there's not one there's not one direction in a sense you can go for a very strong juxtaposition of a contemporary work and slice it between the two and so you clearly read the past and present or you do a bit of a blur where you kind of just um you basically just walk from one space to the next and you're not kind of really conscious of that you're entering a new space how do you tend to work these things or is it just dependent on the project and what response is required?
1: Look, I think it's pretty much to do with um, the project and the sort of inherent organisation of the building itself. Um, in, the, in the laundries, for example, we were really talking about one major workhouse environment with a couple of little service spaces beside it, so there was really no Opportunity there necessarily to, uh, uh, by by definition, to actually create um, sort of stories using transition. There was certainly there was the approach and there was the um, the stairwell up the stairway up to the upper level, but um, hardly a complex uh, thing to interpret. And in the case of the uh, uh, the beehive, uh, there was. A sequence which was really um, directed very much by the decision to uh, make sure that that gesture that uh, that Allen's made to put to, to drive the uh, uh, arcade through the building um, was very important, and then it was really one up, one down. So I don't think there was anything subtle about that that we could do, but I, it, it does make me think back to for example, working on the Melbourne GPO, which was really a labyrinth labyrinth of circulation and various rooms and chambers and so on. So you then had to make decisions about which were the important spaces, what would be the priority circulation routes here and how do you actually manage the movement through the building uh, whilst maintaining a sort of a consistency in that particular case. So I think it's very much to do with the, uh, inherent organisation of the building itself,
0: um, Peter. Getting back to the GPO, you know, wonderful project. It, I believe, it probably also got an award at the time. Yeah, it got several, several, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and I would <laughs> say, wonderful job, Peter. One, one thing that does disturb me a little bit, and someone made the remark. Um, that, it, look, it was never really intended as a retail precinct. It was also always a post office. Now it's a department store, a, a kind of. And how does that, you know, how does that work? Because even though you can restore a building to how it should be, how it should be now, it obviously means it has to be the right use that goes into the building to make something work, correct? That, absolutely correct. So, look, it's obviously working as a retail environment for what it is now, but do you look at those spaces? And, I mean, look at the space like the GPO, which is just a gorgeous part of Melbourne, and, look, it started off being, you know, little boutique stores. Why didn't that work? Was it just the access and and the people are lazy and if they have to take a lift to the first floor, that's not going to work in a retail sense?
1: Um, look i think it's a it 's a combination of a lot of things um, and you, you mentioned the issue of of, of the choice um, for reusing that building I mean we ended up providing um, services on that building and we ended up three with three heritage permits um, for various uses and It was the developer finally that uh, uh, Realised that um, because Australia Post would actively um, downplaying any sort of um, ownership and utilising of public facilities and, and major sort of reference points in cities, that it had to be used in a way that was actually going to give it a life. And because it's in the retail centre of Melbourne, logically, um, it should be a retail use. It it didn't work particularly well for. Um, offices. It didn't work particularly well for a hotel, um, the one-way streets and the limitations of the dimensions of the rooms and the fabric and so on and the heritage control. So I'd I'd have to say the the best use um, is retail in that location. It was originally conceived, as you pointed out, as a a collection of uh, small boutiques and um, mixed retail, which worked beautifully. And I think what happened was that um, the uh, people that ended up acquiring the buildings, um, the right to rent it, um, had an offer from a tenant, which was um, to take the whole of the building. It, it simplifies the, uh, uh, the management of the centre and um, they deal with one person. And I think that's probably got a lot to do with the fact um, of the way that's managed. And um, if you are actually then demanding um, a, sorry, commanding a a position where you can actually say, well, we're taking the whole of a building, you can then start to say, we need an escalator Mm -hmm. to make this work and different avenues are opened up. But uh, I think it it denies um, the roots of that building, which we were talking about early on in the piece, which was a, a a collection of smaller spaces and their interaction as a collective.
0: Well, look, it's probably part of the retail problem at the moment (laughs) that small, independent um, people like Akira Sagawa, who used to be in retail, have and he occupied one of the stores. That was a destination for Melbourne. He
1: did, and And he actually took on board the idea of actually leaving the distressed
0: spaces.
1: Exactly. um, And stay as part of his presentation, and they were wonderful.
0: They were extraordinary, and it was something really special. Um, I was going to ask you, Peter, with Heritage... People don't seem to get it. I mean, the, they would look at the post office and they say, well, yes, this is one of Melbourne's most significant buildings, it's heritage listed, and it has to be heritage listed. But the laundry at a convent, uh, even though Heritage Victoria would see the value there must be people out there who go, well, that, why would we be looking at something like this? It's just a laundry. What's your response? I mean, I know, but other people don't. Yes.
1: Look, I think that's really hard. Um, I think that people have a view about what, and it's a layman's point of view, I suppose, about what might be appealing, what they actually like and respond and something like a, a laundry building, which they see was pretty much as a workhouse and a pile of bricks of no particular merit, um, comes about because of just lack of knowledge of what was um, uh, the reason for establishing the building and why it was there. And I can think of many other heritage buildings, for example, a rope, a rope works, you know, which is Kinnears in uh, Footscray, which has a long gallery for making um, something like a half a kilometre length of rope in the old days. And people say, well, this is a long, thin tunnel. Why are we making, why are we worried about this? You know, the, the, um, the, and they really are challenges. And I think it makes it very difficult when you're dealing with heritage like that um, to get uh, public funding and um, just to increase the sort of uh, significance um, to a point where it can be understood by by lay people. So I think it is a real conundrum. Uh, The laundry, however, um, I think if you look at the bigger picture, um, it is a uh, very important initiative in early Melbourne that started the conservation of a wonderful open space for the whole of the city. And I think if you actually put the the laundry as the sort of... uh, uh, the working starting point of something that has got a lot of uh, long-term benefits, you can probably convince people that those, what they might think are shabby buildings are worthwhile.
0: Well, it's, look, it's, I, I think they're wonderful spaces to be in. They, they draw you back in time uh, when people... Uh, didn't just have a front-loading machine. It was all very hard work. I mean, the people that... Ex- There's sad stories as well as, you know, happy stories. I mean, the music, uh, the mu- Alan's music arcade obviously brings back joyous memories, but, you know, things like the convent laundry, there would have also been the sad stories of young women having to work in those places. Oh, absolutely.
1: And well, really against those-
0: their will and, and really just because they happen to get you know, pregnant or they were, didn't have yes. parents.
1: So I think that it's a very interesting thing. I mean, if, if, if we took the view about the Magdalen laundry, um, and wanted to show it as a workplace, um, we wouldn't have been able to put in the flat floor to actually give it another opportunity to be utilized into the future so one of the one of the really important things that we did there was to establish a uh, a floor system in that new building that enabled the industrial heritage to stay in place under the floor so there's a fl- there's a brick floor underneath there that has machine bases, lots of pipes, um, channels for waterway uh, for water to go off uh, very wet floors and uh, so It might make it a little more understanding if you went into that as a museum space. But what it does do is it prevents any practical use of the building into the future. And we know the best way to to preserve buildings is to have them used. Um, So there is always that inbuilt conundrum.
0: Peter, I I don't want to pigeonhole you as a heritage architect because you do a lot of fine work and a lot of contemporary work, but I suppose because you've just won this major heritage award, I'm interested in exploring heritage. Uh, It must be very exciting when a wall comes down or a false ceiling comes down or there's something that leads you to something original and the, the feeling you get of that discovery must be enormously satisfying. That, yes, I was on the right track. Yes, I should, I'm doing the right thing. Or no, we need to go in a different direction.
1: Uh, look, absolutely. And I think that's one of the things that um, uh, intrigues everybody on uh, a heritage site. Um, and that's why you need to have a, an attitude Um, instilled in all those that are working on the site that this if if they're doing demolition for example uh, it's careful demolition it's not sort of gung-ho rip it out and if you think about the uh, discoveries we had at the uh, the beehive that was really a lot to do with careful demolition Uh, when we took the original metal pan ceiling down we realized that the arcade uh, the, the original um, vaulted arcade had um, cast iron brackets. We discovered one of the brackets, which was embedded in a wall that had been put in at some point. So we were able to retrieve that. And uh, we also found a very old uh, safe door that would, had been built into a wall um, just as spill, not as, um, a, you know, a, a part of uh, a functional setting. And so those items really give you a great assistance and a clue. Uh, and there's nothing more enjoyable than being up on a scaffold, looking at existing building fabric and working out how it was put together. Uh, there's something very satisfying about that. And uh, uh, it sounds corny, but I think um, the uh, you, you you feel as if you're, dealing very intimately with something that's been there and and, and maybe existed for a hundred years and letting it speak to you and using it to move on it's very exciting
0: um, peter given how young australia is generally uh you know people often go oh look it's only you know 50 years old it's only you know 100 years old you know if you're in london you know buildings are 500 to a thousand years old But obviously it's important, given we only have a relatively short history, to look after our recent past.
1: Yes. Um, Look, I think whether it's, you know, 50 years or 150 years, which is about as much as we can summons up in this country, given we're such a young country, um, you can always learn something from the past that tells you, um, and, and provide you a few clues for the future. And I think if we close ourselves off to those names, to, to, those, to those particular uh, avenues of investigation, then we actually do uh, miss out a lot and we become uh, less informed and ignorant.
0: Um, and, and I would have thought... Good. I would have thought, Peter, even, just, even if you're working on a new build or an extension to a house or an extension to a building that isn't heritage listed, the past obviously informs where you're going.
1: Yes, it does, absolutely. And I think, I think um, um, if anyone's interested in construction, um, looking at something that's been put together even 25 years ago is fascinating. And you can always um, gain something, whether it's, we shouldn't do that because it won't last. Or that's a great detail we've never thought of that before. Let's adopt that next time around. So uh, I think there's if if you are open to what's existing, um, and I think in this current climate we need to be open to what's existing because um, we should not be building um, built new buildings at the expense of, uh, uh, of 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 wasting existing structures. Adaptive reuse reuse of a whole lot of existing built fabric is very important and a very responsible thing to do from a, from a sustainability of, uh, of our planet.
0: I agree. Well, on that note, Peter, look, it's been a pleasure having you on my program today. Uh, well done with all the awards and uh, look forward to seeing new work or old work or reworked or uh, coming through in the future.
1: Thank you very much, Stephen. It was really nice to have the conversation.
0: You've been listening to Stephen Crafty. Talking Design is produced by RMIT University and brought to you in partnership with Melbourne City Council. If you'd like to stay up to date with all things Talking Design, be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at TalkingDesign underscore.